I'm Johnny Bartlett. Hmm. And we're the Bundle Bourgeoisie. The Bundle Bourgeois of the Wazi. The Bundle Bourgeois. Oh, there's something I wanted to float to you. Yeah? Uh, what? So we, we wanted to do a, a year-in episode, right? Yeah. Uh, it'll probably like a, be like, like, like a final... Like after this one, sometime in January, maybe? Yeah. Uh, what are your thoughts on that one being a live stream one? Oh! You know, I hadn't even thought of that. That's a great idea. Let's do a live stream and talk about all of the games. We can even go through them, show people our, our the Steam reviews that we've done of them, too. That'd be so much yeah, fun. Yeah, live stream recap. Yeah. We can get questions from anyone if they have any questions or wanted anything clarified or anything people like that. People have been asking for us to do a live stream podcast where we, we live exactly. stream it and then we post it later onto the different services. And I think that would be a really, really fun way to go about it. The second half of the December Humble Choice Bundle is what we got for y'all yeah. this month. Yeah. This week. This uh, ever-changing period of time. Which includes... Shining Resonance Refrain. Tabletop Playground. Zwei the Argus Adventure. Zwei the Ilvard Insurrection. Then we have Still There. And finally, Children of Morda. All right. Ready to get to the meat? Let's do it. Jump into it. No no nonsense today. This is our no-nonsense podcast recording. Go. No nonsense. Okay, Shining Resonance Refrain is developed and published by Sega. I hate it already. I hate it already. Bring the nonsense back. <laughs> but here's the thing, right? Uh, I had to fucking work to figure out who they were. Media, Media Vision? Because they, they don't list it on, like, Steam. They just say Sega. Yeah, so I found out that these people have also developed uh, Valkyria Chronicles, specifically 3 and 4, not 1 and 2, though they did do, like, the remake of 1. They did Wild Arms, the entire series, and Chaos Rings. So if you've ever heard of any of those games, then they've done them. They've been around for a hot minute. And uh, originally, though, it was a Japanese-only title for the PS3, released in 2014, and it only got a worldwide release on the PS4, PC, Switch, and Xbox One in 2018. So four years uh, later, they decided to just like bundle all of the DLC and add this like extra little game type mode, and uh, they they just released the the whole darn thing for for American audiences, including all of the swimsuits. So this is a <laughs> uh, fairly generic JRPG with real time combat and lots of visual novel style dialogue. The gameplay is sort of split into a three. Sorry, split into three primary portions, combat, exploration, and dialogue. So combat has a reaction timing-based deal with some JRPG elements, kind of typical stuff, HP, MP, management. Uh, you also have the ability to swap characters mid-combat if you're just not vibing with a character or you want to manage your heals personally. Uh, though I find that the auto-heals, generally if you set that your, your party to be like auto-heal, then it will always keep you healed pretty well. Um... Exploration, you run around like a super large map, uh, and you actually start at the exact same starting point every time. I don't think that there are any other towns that you get to go to in this game. I'm pretty sure it's just the one town, and you keep starting from the same spot. Uh, the enemies, yeah. Uh, the enemies also scale based on what chapter you're currently on. It's extremely level-based and stat-based, so you can just like grind it out and then suddenly challenge. There's like no challenge to the game whatsoever. And just every enemy is like a, a pebble across your mighty, mighty uh, 
adventure, I guess. You're just stepping on them and kicking them around. And there are also like optional pickups that are just around on the ground for exploration. The dialogue is honestly the majority of this game. A lot of the dialogue is found in some optional kind of side stories that flesh out the characters. They're just like little dialogue boxes that you can just par choose to partake in or skip if you want. And the other two just interrupt everything MGS style. Like you're in the middle of, of doing one thing and then it'll be a dialogue and then you're doing something else and it'll be dialogue. So it's not ideal for somebody like me who prefers more of a balance between the two or maybe to hear the dialogue like during the, the fight or something like that. It, it often cuts between two. Um, it can feel fairly intrusive rather than making it feel cohesive. Uh, but getting back to the positive aspects of this game, uh, it's a PS3 era 3D action game. It's about what you'd expect visually. Uh, somewhat generic, bland environments, but I, I did like thought that think that it was like it, it's it's serviceable it doesn't do that bad of a job even though it does kind of feel like it came out of like a xenoblades ripoff or like an early mmo uh and most non-playable characters are also not modeled in conversations i'm realizing how negative all of this is but it's true it feels like lazy it's like they they give you all of these costumes for like to, to you to for you to put all the female characters in like hundreds of different swimsuits it feels like it's not hundreds it's like 10 but um then they just like don't even model any of like the side characters at all during conversations and they get a single tiny avatar at the corner of the screen that never even changes their expression based on what they're talking about it just feels lazy and there's so much of it and it's like the primary content that uh kind of started to frustrate me and i know for sure that i'm not going to be uh playing the rest of this game <laughs> but uh like I said, you get all the DLC, which means lots of costumes, including a schoolgirl, a maid outfit, idol costume, tons of swimsuit costumes right away for all the girls. The swimsuits and costumes and stuff, it makes the cutscenes really awkward. I don't know if it's a bad thing or not. It almost improves it somewhat because it makes me care about it now that they're like acting weird. Uh, <laughs> it's like, oh, this is silly. This is, oh, what? she's she's dressed like that in front of her father and her father is the king. Oh, my God. How is that possible? Hey, that's wacky. Anyway, the story revolves around a world where dragons exist, and their power is harnessed by musically enhanced warriors called Dragoneers, who use their musical instrument weaponry called harmonics. And honestly, it's the coolest part of this game. It's just the designs for the characters and their weapons. Like, Kirika has this sick bow harp, and Agnum wields, like, a guitar wand axe that he uses to, like, fucking shred and cast magical spells and hit people with. And Rena has, like, this brass trumpet horn staff. And Excella, one of the main villains, has this gigantic, massive, imposing lance that then she just puts her mouth up to. And it turns out that shit's a flute, baby, and it summons dragons. So, Holy <laughs> shit. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of cool stuff when it comes to, like, the designs. Th then there's also characters like Zest, who is an edgelord with double gun swords. And it just, like... <laughs> It makes it hard to really feel like the setting is grounded in any sort of way that is not, like, anime. <laughs> um, so stop me if you've heard this one before. A young boy, unsure of himself and locked away from society because of an ancient power locked within his body, must use the power of friendship to overcome the demon inside of him, harnessing its power to keep his friends safe. Communist Manifesto. Yeah, and also Naruto. 
and like every shonen ever made like literally the first original character i ever made for role playing on like a website had the exact same gimmick it's except instead of a dragon it was just like a demon inside of him so like i this is this has been done before even by me <laughs> um it, it plays well in the game in terms of like the gameplay though cuz you have the ability to like literally transform into a dragon in combat and you can just wreck shit for a short period of time and uh, if you run out of MP during this period, then you lose control of the dragon. And the dragon has the ability to, like, mess up your own, like, party members. And I have, on accident, totally just wiped out my party fighting some, like, chickens and shit that, like, didn't matter because I just wasn't being careful about how I used the dragon. And, you know, that element of the story kind of carries. You understand why this character is so... Uh, apprehensive to to do everything because he does have this massive power inside of him and he's been locked away for so long and he's shy and he doesn't understand you know like like how the world works completely moment to moment this series this series really just plays out like a slice of life anime there are like some overarching conflicts it feels like they just don't matter i found it so hard to care about them especially relating to the main villain who just like interrupts the main story to go on her monologues and their like political diatribes about like what she what she wants and why she wants it and like her her underlings and all her different plans it's like her motivation is just i want the dragon for my army because i want to win the war and it's against do you feel like it would have played out better if there was just an option to like disable combat and movement and just watch the in whole game in some ways yeah i mean then it's just a visual novel but then also like I don't know because the combat was enjoyable in some ways like it gave it gave a mix like like if you're just reading dialogue for hours and hours then you're like I want to do something else I want to I want to find I want to do something and then you go out and do stuff but then you, the stuff that you're doing gets interrupted by dialogue and it's like no maybe that's just me I, it might just be the type of gamer that I am that like I, when I get a ton of reading it's just like okay well now now I'm sitting here for a while doing this I want to blow shit up now yeah exactly and then you, you don't, the blowing shit up isn't really that satisfying. You just kind of stomp on a couple of mushrooms, and then you're like, well, I feel bad. But anyway, like, the, the kingdom that she's, like, fighting against, the, the one that you're working for, is, like, the most impossibly good-faith monarchy I've ever seen in my life. I, I can't believe how nice the king is. Like, this village representative comes to him, and he's like, P please, my, 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 my people are dying. They're struggling. We weren't able to get the crops for, for the taxes, and we can't pay you. I'm so sorry. And then the king says, what? Why didn't you tell me sooner? I am relieving your rent for the entirety of this duration until the crisis is solved. And it's like, that's not realistic. That has never happened once in the history of mankind. And you are just, you're just putting ideas into people's <laughs> The frivolous, dumb character writing was, like, better to me than uh, the rest of the main story for, like, a lot of the reasons that I've stated. Like, it's just kind of goofy nonsense, slice-of-life stuff in a fantasy setting, and the characters are all cute, and they all want to fuck the protagonist, so it's, it, makes you, makes you, it makes your heart warm, makes you feel good, because you kind of project yourself onto the protagonist, even though he's a total wet noodle who has to get rescued at every single point by far more interesting party members, and usually uh, most of which are, are, are women, who then take the back seat in order to aid in the protagonist arc. Like, the sheer number of deus ex machinas used in this story, even in just the th first three chapters, was crazy to me. Every single time a character was introduced, it was because a villain had just been introduced and was unbeatable and then another character shows up to be like i'm saving you and then they beat them <laughs> and it's just like 
it gets so tiring after a while of just that keep continually happening. I'm only in like chapter three. You can eventually get him to go on dates with some of the girls he spends nights with on like camps. And at the end, every time that you rest, you have the option to like talk with one of the characters in private. You can also do that with like your red haired older bro coded character. And like their partnership does feel homoerotic. I don't know if it gets to that point. I hope it does. I hope that it's you have the option to be bi in this game. That would make it better. That would make it much better. Finally, in terms of the story, there is Refrain Mode, which is available to players right away from the very beginning if they choose. Uh, it's basically the exact same as the main game, but the two villains that are like the primary antagonists are just playable right away from the start of the game. And yeah, like you don't get to play as them in the main game, but you can play as them in Refrain Mode. And it doesn't make sense in terms of the story. It's just like New Game Plus, and it's not really balanced at all. It's just fun and goofy, I guess. So, yeah. Uh, and there's also a new dialogue and stuff. Uh, slightly different, but, I mean, it still doesn't change the main fact that, like, you're getting hunted by somebody who's in your party. <laughs> uh, other things that annoyed me in this game. You can't pet any of the animals. That is a mistake. No, do there's, there's dogs and cats and birds and all of them are off limits and they are all so cute and they sit there right in front of you as if waiting for something and you can't give it to them. Why are we even talking about I it? I know. Then? The dragon shift and band cutscenes that you have to use like every other uh, combat to like shift into your dragon form and then to play like music to make sure that the dragon form lasts longer and like, you know, to like save them from dragon form or whatever. Uh, they both take like five seconds and you use them every single fight. And it's like, it is so grating to have to have that cutscene play every time and it's unskippable. Uh, the PC controls are okay, but they feel like an afterthought in combat, especially where, like, on controller you press, uh, like, a bumper and then one of the face buttons. And it's, like, how you access your spells. Whereas on uh, PC, you press right-click and then you move the mouse up, down, left, or right to select a spell. And it just feels bad. Uh... Side quests are pretty boring and repeatable fetch quests. They feel like they could be straight out of an MMO with no real substance and often negligible rewards, especially in the late game as you keep getting more and more of the same item for doing the same quest. Uh, audio also starts out being in Japanese, and it doesn't tell you that there's an option to turn it to English. Like, it doesn't tell you at the very beginning, would you like to do it in this or that? It's just, it, it goes, and it's in Japanese. Uh... You also have to pause to switch characters during a fight. There's no, like, switch character button. You have to, like, pause, go open the menu, switch the character, exit out of the menu, and then get back to the fight. And it feels like there are just a lot of systems to keep track of. There's, like, the force moves, uh, which are, like, your magical abilities, your chosen aspect, which is, like, materia from Final Fantasy VII, but less fun. And then, like, your band formation songs, which I still don't completely get. And your bonds, which I still don't get. I just got that it's banned like a band and not banned like a group. No, it's banned like like as in a musical, like... Because the instrument shtick, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, they all they, they do, like, perform a song. And the cool thing about that is that if your dragon is, like, rampaging, then you can actually, if you have your band ready, then you can use band to calm the dragon. And uh, it, like, pacifies him. And that can be really helpful if he's, like, rampaging. It's super cool. Uh, I probably just repeated myself there. Anyway, uh, <laughs> is it worth it? I've talked a lot of shit. Uh, I feel like if you like slice of life anime and you need podcast fodder, like you're listening to our podcast and you want something to play while you're listening to our podcast, you could do worse than this. 
The combat is way over-reliant on leveling and grinding, and that may turn off some players, but you have the optional extra dungeons that you can go into available to you because of the Refrain uh, DLC. They, they find like a grimoire somewhere around Chapter 2 that makes progressing through the game way easy if you just have the time to spare to grind it out. Uh, you can just stomp basically every single uh, encounter. And there's there's also like not a hard mode. There's just normal and easy. So I guess if you wanted to play it with just like the easy mode and not care about the gameplay at all, you could. But it makes it very obvious that the game is so reliant on leveling that they couldn't do a hard mode. Because it doesn't exist. It would just mean you would be underleveled. And then you could overlevel yourself and it would be easy again. Tabletop Playground? Yeah, this is a game from Plasticity Studios, and it is their only game there that they've made. There's not a lot to talk about this game, honestly. It's the names in the game. It's Tabletop Playground. It's another sort of tabletop simulator type game. Uh, the biggest draw is that it's got full VR support. So you can don your headset and actually like sit at the table and play board games, which is a hella cool feature, I think. I don't feel like the game really distinguishes itself much from Tabletop Simulator. It just, uh, in my experience, it felt a little more stable and user-friendly. I didn't get as lost using the interfaces and everything as I do in Tabletop Simulator. And the fact that all of the mods, while they made the choice to do mod support on Mod.io rather than Steam Workshop, which was odd, it was... Very easy to navigate and subscribe to things and figure out how to get them in the game. You don't have to, like, relaunch or anything. You just hit subscribe, and immediately you can see it just download into the game, and you can start playing it. So I thought the mod support was decent. The struggle came from the lack of mods currently available. I think in total there were probably about 180 games you could download, with probably about 40 of them being known named games. It's not a terrible selection. There's some big titles like Dominion, uh, Catan was in there, Go, what else? Uno. Couple different versions of Monopoly. They got like Fallout and Communopoly. Yeah, so they've got they've got a decent selection of like expected games, but not a ton of support, honestly. I I think if the community starts to pick up support on it and they want to make the switch from Tabletop Simulator, this would probably be the game they go to. Uh, especially given the VR support, I think that is the huge, the, like the biggest draw of this game. Uh, but as of right now, it's it's an alternative, a very minor alternative. Uh, it seems to fix some of the minor issues that tabletop that I have with Tabletop Simulator. Other than that, it, it needs traction to be good. These kinds of games rely entirely on the community and the support from the community. Uh, and until we see that, you know, Tabletop Simulator is probably going to be the one to stick with. Yeah, I didn't see much of a reason to pick this up over Tabletop Simulator. I, it has some features that are, like, just in, in the feeling of it. Like, when I was doing the tutorial, it felt really nice just to, like, move things around. And it felt a lot snappier because you can program it to just kind of snap into locations and, and have certain uh, scripting. In, in that sense, that was, like, yeah. a lot... I'm not a modder by any means on either of these programs, but, like, Tabletop Playground does have a scripting feature that you can actively use to add scripts to stuff in games, which I don't think is available on Simulator. Uh, and they also have some features like snap movements. They have, you're actually allowed to throw pieces onto the floor and they won't automatically despawn, which is another cool feature that could be used in things. They have endless chests. I know that was one thing a lot of people were talking about that they really loved this game for. 
is that you can just have a chest full of an endless item. You don't have to program a set limit or anything. All the controls are super intuitive. They're, most of them are, you know, carbon copies of the controls of Tabletop Simulator. I think that this game being free on the bundle is probably a huge boon to its potential success. I think we might see a pickup in mod support from it as a result. But as of right now, smarter people than I have to do cooler things in the game before it really takes off. I think I have to agree. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it'd be really cool to see once people start getting like whole ass adventure games built in there. Yo, yeah. Could you imagine like some of the first adventure games ever made? Like what what it must have been to, to create that, to, to sit down and be like, I'm going to I'm going to create a game like like set on an island in the sky and there'd be dungeons all over the place and I'll just let people kind of solve it and let them kind of figure it out as they please. How crazy would that be? The next game is Why the Argus Adventures. It, uh, developed and published by uh, Nihon Falcom. They also made a bunch of other games like Yeast, Legend of Heroes, and Trails. They were actually founded in 1991 and they are one of the oldest game devs still alive to this day. Don't know if you knew that. Wow, I did not. Yeah, uh, they... Po- they actually pioneered the action RPG uh, formula, and they are really a pioneer for the JRPG industry in general in Japan, and especially on the PC, because they released almost all of their games on PC originally. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, so this game actually released on PC in 2001, uh, then it had another release in 2004 uh, on PS2, and then on, on PSP in 2008. All of that in Japan. Never reached the States. Uh, the worldwide release for this game actually only happened two years ago in 2018. So this is a top-down action RPG dungeon crawler uh, that stars two 14-year-olds. And it's, I think it's why it's called Zwei, because there's two of them. <laughs> and you control two at the same time. Okay, so it controls with either just keyboard, just mouse, or keyboard and mouse, or controller. So you actually have a lot of different options. But I will say that the mouse felt wonky to me when I was in full screen. It only really worked well when I played in windowed mode. Uh, it might feel better. Uh, I enabled this setting called... Uh, I'll explain that in a minute. You have two different con- characters that you're controlling at the same time. Uh, Pockle uses a dash attack, and which is like a little melee attack. And uh, Piprio uses a ranged magic attack and other spells. Uh, I highly recommend that if you're going to be playing this game, switch from the default uh, mode of being uh, attack and then switch as A and B to uh, Pockle and Piprio as two different separate buttons for each so that like you have one character assigned to each button and you don't have to switch between them uh, using the B button in order to attack. His combat is really fast-paced and reaction-based. Wait, is that how the default comp, like, switching is set up on that? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's total Yo, garbage. Homie, homie, they fixed that in the, in the, the second one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do, you, do, you, uh, do you play as two in the second one as well, two characters? You do. Oh god, yeah. It's the whole it's the whole shtick of the game, I guess. And it's it's bound to two different buttons in that one, so you just push the button and you automatically start attacking and switch characters. See, like that's the way that it should be. I played it on a controller and like it feels so much better when you play it that way. It plays pretty simply. You just gather useful items, you explore the many different dungeons of the land. Each dungeon is labeled based on the the level that you should be when you enter, uh and usually it is blocked by something to prevent players from entering at early levels. Uh, so it literally just tells you beforehand, like, hey, don't go here. It's not your level, bud. Don't, don't go here. In this game, food is used to heal yourself, and it's also the only way that you level up. It's dropped from monsters, uh, and it, I find it hilarious, because you'll just eat every single thing that you find just off the ground. 
<laughs> you can trade 10 of a food item at the town's bar to create a better item worth more XP than the 10 items combined. Uh, it has a very non-linear game structure, and that lack of direction definitely made it hard for me to figure out where to go next and what to do. And I found out that I wasn't the only one, because online people say that the basically the only way to play this game is with a guide. Because otherwise you're going to be wasting a ton of time going to every single area and being like, can I go here yet? No. Can I go here yet? No. Can I go here yet? No. And it also has uh, weird elements like um, if you go down uh, a dungeon and then you forget about the other places that you could have gone down there later, then you'll go down like, and you won't remember where to go and you'll be like, okay, well, turns out the way forward was actually down the previous dungeon that I've already explored and I just had to backtrack through all the content that I've already been through to find a new area that is further down in the dungeon. And it's just, it's preposterous. You have to have a guide if you're going to play this game. It's just not reasonable to play otherwise. And <laughs> for that reason, a lot of things feel pretty outdated. Even combat feels pretty outdated. With most dungeons feeling uh, very similar and a lot of basic switch puzzles uh, are really all that you have to worry about most of the time. Uh, I found out from watching a speedrun that apparently there's a theme park hidden in one of the dungeons and, and there's an arcade that lets you play a uh, Yis-themed typing simulator tutor game. Uh, so you, you, you like type the words and you have to like slay the enemies and it's really adorable. I don't know, I just That's thought that was cool. cute. It's worth mentioning. There's a lot of fun little cute things in this game. Like the fact that there's a pet mode. <laughs> pet mode, baby! You can have pets with you that deal extra damage or... You can send your pet home, and he decides that he doesn't like to stay home, so he's going to go on an adventure. Well, you're out questing, too. And so its progress is tracked on the top right of the screen. You can actually influence its decisions while playing, and it's like a little mini Tamagotchi, basically, where you have, like, two games playing at the same time. It's so cool. It's one of the coolest to features tangent of the game. Off this, to tangent off this, what the fuck? Okay, I got I got an item in, in Zwei when I was playing it, in my version, uh, and it was just pet food. And I, for the life of me, have not been able to figure out what to use it on yet. But I'm assuming I just haven't found the pets for pet mode. I mean, maybe. Or maybe it's it's an allusion to the fact that they got rid of pet mode. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a self-referential thing. If you try to use it, though, it just says you don't have any pets right now. So. Oh, well, I bet you probably do get a pet then. It probably is a very similar feature where it's like a little mini Tamadachi where they go on quests while you're going on quests. And basically, like, the, the right and left bumper are, like, decisions where, like, you can choose the top decision or the bottom decision where it's, like, do you want to go left or right? Do you want to beg for pets or ignore? You know, stuff like that. And their, their, their goal is to get, like, the six uh, colored collars while your goal is to get, like, the six idols stolen from the village. So, like, their <laughs> quest mirrors your own. <laughs> That's so fun. God yeah. damn. I want pet mode. I know pet mode is so good. So uh, get, that should, it's a good place to transition into the story here. So you play as both Piprio, uh, the blunt and bubbly fashionista sister, and Pockle, the adventurous punster. Uh, so if you don't like puns, get ready. To, to quote one of the old men from this game, "There's, there's always a pun in the back of your mind, isn't there? Is it a sickness?" <laughs> every single corner of this game he always has a pun for everything and i'm really impressed with that personally because that's probably why it took so long to translate this game if i'm gonna be real puns in translation are really hard to pull off and they actually did a really good job with pretty much all of the puns here and even though i've he heard some people online complaining about like the translation i think that it was pretty good there are some really funny lines 
uh, like, uh, no cat could possibly as fugly as this thing. Piprio is so blunt. She's like this little girl, and you don't expect her to be like, she's like so cute and froofy, and she's just like, fugly? What? <laughs> she goes, damn. So, you really are fairies then, huh? <laughs> Which is, I feel like that's something that, like, I would say if I was in this fantasy setting. I don't know. She's like, oh, damn. Fairies. All right. So your goal is to uh, find and return, like I said, your village's lost idols. Your village elder immediately admits, though, that they're basically close to worthless except for their sentimental value, which is why they send 14-year-olds to go retrieve them. <laughs> so Pockle, he just wants to go on an adventure while Piprio literally is in it just for the reward for finding the idol so she can find and buy more clothes. Uh, totally, <laughs> totally a capitalist dream there. Uh, you do run into other characters throughout the game in dungeons and in town, uh, like in the cat wizard who keeps summoning powerful bosses to defeat, or like the retired adventurer who uh, got just got done exploring, or other adventurers exploring the various dungeons. Uh, it's a pretty light affair. Uh, the art style, I will say, looks very good. It's a very pretty game for being from 2001. It's like, it looks even better if you put um, the command dash dash pixel perfect, dash dash pixel underscore perfect into the Steam launch options. Because otherwise, it makes it like, when you go full screen, it blurs out the pixels and it makes it a little fuzzy and, and it doesn't look as good. But but this way, it looks just perfect. Everything is very cute. It looks like it's watercolored, hand-drawn. Uh, it's just a shame that there's no way to change the resolution other than full screen or windowed, windowed mode. To kind of round out this whole discussion is why. Is it worth it? Uh, I am hesitant to recommend this game just because, or really any game that requires a walkthrough to beat within any reasonable amount of time. Because uh, I literally never knew where to go. And the path forward is pretty much always hidden in places like previously explored dungeons and it requires a lot of really awful backtracking. Uh, so... If you have a guide and you don't mind puns, perhaps if you like puns and you don't mind the somewhat repetitive dungeons, then this game has a surprising amount of tasty meat to it. But if you do mind all those things, then boy do I have a game for you that fixes them all. Zwai, the Ilvard Insurrection! <laughs> this is, this is a game from, from, uh, from Nihon Falcom. And in case you didn't know, they made the YS games, The Legend of Heroes, and Trials. <laughs> uh, they were, and, and, and if you didn't know, they were actually founded in 1981, and they're one of the oldest oh. game devs still alive. You don't say. Yeah, real <laughs> pioneers of the RPG formats. <laughs> uh, and contrary to the others, why, uh, this is a third-person RPG. It's all 3D and, like, in a whole-ass 3D world. And the game plays a lot like a, a Metroidvania, as David said about the last one. The areas are very open for you to explore and go, and you can kind of walk into any area, and then you just sort of find out that, like, oh, I just don't have the magic spell to cast here, so I can't get in yet. And so you have to go back and go to the right area first to get the fire spell first. Uh, but unlike the prequel, uh, which isn't really a prequel, it's kind of a sequel, which which I'll I'll mention in a minute. Uh you don't uh you don't you you have pretty clear direction on where you're going the whole time in the game. They tell you like, "Oh, we need to go to the caves." And so you go to the caves and see, "Oh, okay, I'm actually able to get into this dungeon and I'm the right level." 
Uh, it's it's very straightforward, and all the information is presented in a great way. And they <laughs> there's there's this really fun widget system that they have, which is like you can just find all kinds of widgets throughout the world. And there's like pedometers, and there's televisions, and there's uh fucking what else is there? There's a chest tracker, so it sh- like shows you where treasures located. There's uh there's like a uh, scrolling, like, you get a mail system, so you can just start receiving emails from random characters in-game that are like, come to the arena, and whatever. Uh, so there's there's this whole cool widget system, and you can turn them off and turn them on, and you get widgets that, like, give you guidance on your quests and stuff, too, so the widget system really helps clear up the, uh, the, the issues with finding where you need to go. But it's all presented very straightforward. If you, if you just kind of fo- follow the map linearly, you'll hit the areas you need to hit in the right order, basically. Uh, so there, there's not as much issue there with finding where you need to go. You don't need to walk through at all. I fucking breeze through it, honestly. Uh, all of the, all of the areas that you go to, they're all the, the areas that have dungeons in them are all basically set up the exact same way, which I I didn't see as like problematic. It, It made the game very easy to follow and understand what was going on. There was a, uh, the the level dungeon that you could enter right away. There was an area that was blocked off until you got a new spell, uh, and then when you went through that area, it gave you a uh, a power up for that new spell that you had just gotten, basically. And there there was an area that was blocked off by what I assume is in game content. I never got access to it yet, uh, but it, like it's labeled like level ninety nine and it has like fucking purple barriers all around it and stuff. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's lots of that in, in the first Y too. Like, oh, you'll get here one day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I, I think you have to clear the last boss and then you get access to those areas. Uh, but each of the each of the dungeon areas were set up the same way too. You cleared like three levels and then you got to a split path. The split path led either one way towards the boss and the end of the dungeon, or the other way towards like an optional uh, anchor gear upgrade you could get. That's uh, cool. Yeah, yeah, super straightforward. Every everything was very easy to follow. All the dungeons were three levels, so you knew exactly where you were going and what you were doing. Uh, not not difficult in the sense of exploration at all. Even even the combat wasn't inherently difficult. It was pretty easy, especially if you just like spammed spells as the caster. Never really had an issue getting hit or dying until until the late game. Uh, I, I do want to say that, like, my biggest complaint about this game was that, like, I just wasn't being challenged. It was very easy. And then I got to the in-game shit, and holy fuck do they flip the script all of a sudden. Like, the bosses require thought and careful timing, and the mechanics just, like, they, they were actually mechanic-based fights and not just, you know, hit the enemy in its weak spot. It was like, no, the enemy's only vulnerable in X amount of time after it's cast this attack, so you have to dodge a whole bunch, and then you can finally hit them. And uh, So it was super cool. I really love the in-game of this. I was having a lot of fun. I died probably, like, five or ten times on one of the in-game bosses, where the other bosses I hadn't died once. So I, I really like the food system, though, and I, I like that idea of balancing, well, do I want to level up, or do I want to save this for a more inherently difficult fight and be able to heal during it? I, I thought it was an interesting player choice dilemma that they give you. That, that yeah, it, it didn't feel punishing, and, and it felt like I felt rewarded either way. It was like, cool, this made this fight easier, or cool, it made the fight easier. <laughs> uh... I will say I had a lot of technical difficulties with this game. Uh, to get my controller to work was a struggle. I had to uninstall. Uh, I had to uninstall 
joy like wireless drivers i had to disable my keypad and i had to restart the game like four times for it to finally recognize my gamepad over other hardware i had on my computer because it would only recognize one piece of hardware at a time so (laughs) every time i launched it i had to see if it was recognizing the right thing if it wasn't disable the drivers then relaunch it to see if it would recognize the right thing uh i think that was just a me issue because i have so much hardware on my computer i don't think other people will have that issue (laughs) (laughs) you had to do like a whole crazy juggling process in order to get a hundred percent and and you have to launch the game in configuration mode if you want to adjust settings there's no in-game settings to change like resolution so if you don't launch it in configuration mode you'll get like a default like 800 by 900 square window so they didn't fix that from this first why it's it's a little bit of a nuisance but like it's just a different button press i just wanted to make people aware of that because i had to google it to figure it out first there was a visual bug with the text where the bottom of the lines on the dialog boxes would be cut off by like a white line. So you would only see half of the, of the letters. Sometimes it wasn't on all lines, but it was on some. And, and I, I, it didn't bother me, but I, if you have visual impairments, it might make it hard to read the subtitles in this text or not the subtitles, but the dialogue bubbles in this game. Uh, just, just a thing I thought people should be aware of. Also, the game arbitrarily juggles between voice acting and, like, actual, like, dialogue text. So you you just, like, kind of have to... Every other cutscene was like, now we're talk, we're voice acted. And then it was like, now we're not. And you have to read again. And that's so typical of a lot of those, like, word-heavy uh, Japanese games, especially, where, like... I, I don't know, probably American games do it, too, when I just don't think about it. But, like, they'll have, like, uh, a couple of lines voiced, and then, like, the rest is all just stuff you have to read. Yeah, it just felt so arbitrary, and, like, I didn't know when or why they were deciding to switch between the two, so it, it just became... <laughs> but but also, like, the, the voice acting was still input-driven, so you had to push a button to move to the next line. <laughs> so... It was weird. I don't know. Uh, it j- Just some real, like, nitpicky things. And, and, I don't know, this was just a weird design thing. They use heart containers, but it's variable health. So your, your health is represented as heart containers, which the, the average implication is like, okay, I, I take a hit and I lose a quarter, or I lose a half, or I lose a full heart. But it's all based on variable health. So like, your hearts aren't actually, you know, one hit and you lose it. It's, oh, well, you have 480 health and you took 87 damage, so that was enough to crack it. Wait, is it that the is that the values in that game? Oh my god! In, in the first game, okay. In the first game, like you're you've got like around thirty or forty health to start out with, and each uh, heart is like representative of ten health, and uh, like that makes sense. But it also like visually, like it might have been better just to have a bar. Maybe it's easier to see it a easier to see at a glance. Like, oh, I have exactly half, so that means that if I use this item, then like I'll I'll get half my health back, and like I don't know. Which is probably a fair assessment, but, like, I don't know. It just it just seemed like the numbers were there and the hearts were just kind of getting in my way of interpreting what the numbers were. But this game, it's it's super dope. Uh, just like the, the previous title that we discussed, this game was developed in 2008. I think I should make that point. So it's, it's an older game. It came shortly after Zvi, the, the other one. To go back to the technical difficulties, I stopped playing because I'm at, I'm at the end game. I have like two bosses left to beat before I do the final confrontation of this game. And it just kept fucking crashing on me. Like it just, 
it just keeps crashing and like I couldn't keep up with it. It's crashed probably like 12 or 13 times on me now and you can only like you have to save in order to save progress. So when it just arbitrarily crashes in the third floor of a dungeon and there's no save spot around, you can't you can't actively save to prevent loss of progress from from crashes, which sucks. Oh, but what I was going to say about the save system was just that uh basically like when you save you you save your progress in that moment and then when you die you can go back to that save but when you go back to that save all of the enemies that you just killed are still dead uh you've just lost like a little bit of money essentially that's weird it also yeah it's it made the game like really easy because i could just like wipe out an entire floor uh just through like systematically bashing my head against the wall essentially uh, and I would lose a lot of money doing that, but if I had already spent my money or put it in the treasury, then that was fine. Uh, but in Insurrection, you play as Ragna, who is uh, the the sort of hot-headed... I, I love this dynamic, because you've got, like, you've got this, like, I'm the working-class proletariat treasure hunter, man, and then you've got this, like, fucking aristocrat vampire lady who's like upper class and has never left left the castle in her life so you, you've got this dynamic of this like wealthy ignorant like book read and and like not actually knowledgeable of the real world you know smart vampire true blood lady and then this like just fucking let, let's go out there and just be, beat some shit up and get some gold baby that sounds really good. <laughs> I kind of like that character dynamic. Like as much as I enjoyed the first game, and they're just kind of like brother and sister, and they got kind of like a like a sibling dynamic. That sounds like really fun. Really, yeah, neat. it's a it's a great dynamic, and and yeah. it's got like you know it's got it's got that cute sort of like will they won't they tension through the whole game, which which I'm here for. I'm here for will they won't they's, uh, <laughs> and. <laughs> Uh, the, the, the characters are all, they're all really well written and charming and they all have such distinct personalities. And I, I really enjoyed the character development in this game. Uh, the story to, to avoid too many spoilers. Uh, it's, it's good. It, it's not like, it's, it's not the best story in the world. It's, it's solid. The writing's good though. It's fun. It's charming. It, it just like I just had a good time playing this game and seeing the characters and the way they're developing throughout the game and it, it's good like fucking go save your sweet big titty goth girlfriend like uh one of one of the things that I thought was very funny is one of my my thoughts on this game was like why do all the drop ups look like really bad 2D sprites and then I watched David play The Others Why, and I was like, oh, shit, what a fun nod to the old game. They just took the sprites from the old game and resized them and, and, and dolled them up a little bit and used them as drops. That's cute. I like that. It's super cute. So, okay. <laughs> yeah, right. there's there's a lot of, like, really cute nods to the first game, which, which were just like, look, like, you meet the two main characters from the first game in this one. And and when you told me that, that blew my mind. As soon as I saw them on on the start screen when you were playing, I was like, "Oh fuck, I know them! Those are those are the kids! Holy shit, they actually grew up to be like treasure hunters and sorcerers! That's so cool! Like, I'm so fucking proud of them because when you meet them in this game, they like they idolize the hell out of the two main characters, and they're they're like young copies of the two main characters. One of them's like a sorcerer who has un untrained potential and could grow up to be like." 
like those fucking magical beasts. And the other's like, uh, I want to be a treasure hunter, but I don't know how to swing a sword yet. So teach me your ways. Cool dude. Uh, <laughs> so so like seeing that those characters actually went on to sort of fulfill their dreams and do what they wanted was just oh, i loved it it's it's so cool and charming and such a great throwback to the other game so it, it was funny is that it almost sounded like playing the second game first then going back to the first game almost like made it better in some ways because you're like oh i get to watch their dream come true well and that's <laughs> the fun part too because like i bet if you play the first one and then play the second one when you run into them you're gonna be like oh that's them as kids look at them they're the same people look at this dynamic he still wants to fuck old women in power oh yeah no that is a thing pockle <laughs> does actually really have a thing for old women <laughs> yeah as soon as as soon as he meets the main character like the the fucking uh, as as soon as he meets Alwyn, he's like, "Oh, my lady! Oh, gosh! Hi!" <laughs> <laughs> and, and his yeah. sister's just like, "He gets this way. He's horny for women." Like, <laughs> <laughs> the writing is it's definitely very good in these games. There, it's it's very good. There were a couple of questionable characters in this one, but like, the game was written in two thousand eight, and it doesn't surprise me that some of the humor hasn't aged well. Uh, but, but it's not like, it's not anything to fault the game. It's still really fun. It's really cute. Like the most off-putting character is in the first 20 minutes of the game and you never see her again, really. All in all, I, I enjoyed this game. It was a lot of fun. Uh, it, it's, it was really easy to start, but that complaint became irrelevant by the time I got to the end game. So if, if you find yourself bored about how easy it is, just like, just get through the boring parts and it'll get fun. I promise. Like, just enjoy the story and, and... Write it out. It's it's great. I, I want to go back and finish this one really bad. I feel you, man. Just enjoy the story and write it out. It's the theme for our next game, I feel like. Still There, developed by Ghost Shark, is the next game on the docket here. Previously, they developed a FPS voxel-based uh, Minecraft clone called Blockstorm, which is a very different game than what I'm about to describe, just worth mentioning. Uh, and this was also published by Iceberg Interactive. They've done a lot of games that I don't recognize. And Nuclear Dawn, anyone? That was one game that I saw that no one knows. Because it was like an FPS game where there was like an RTS element. Where one character was playing an RTS and everyone else was playing an FPS. Interesting. I love games that present like asymmetrical play like that. Yeah, yeah. But we're not talking about that. We're, we're talking about... Still There. Still There has an art style that uh, pretty much all of the game uh, takes place in. It's sort of like this comic booky, very colorful uh, style. It's usually very dense, especially the uh, interior to your little spaceship that you live in here, because this game takes place uh, as a sort of point-and-click adventure game uh, where you're like an astronaut working in space. So there's a lot going on when you first get in there. It's almost a little overwhelming because it's like, oh, my God, there's so many things to click on, so much to learn about. Uh, but it looks very clean uh, and has very good use of color. <clears throat> the dream sequences play out uh, in these vividly animated 3D dreamscape voids. They remind me of how old audio visualizers used to look. And they almost like inspire like feelings of like awe and maybe a little bit of fear and anxiety based on like the sort of unknowable workings of it the dialogue text is rescalable which is cool but the background text is not which is not cool and i found many elements of the background to be way too small to read and they made some puzzle elements uh more difficult than they should have been in my opinion 
especially things that were like <laughs> like which switches go to where and you were watching it and you're laughing because you know exactly what went wrong <laughs> it was it was the nightmare yeah so let's just transition right into the gameplay so this game is about just trying to make the best decisions that you can. It's very lonely. Uh, you're distancing yourself from worldly problems while constantly having to worry about a slew of new different problems in the space station. Uh, usually just technical issues going wrong with the station while you try to go about your daily work. Uh, your job as an employee of BrainCo is just to complete your daily assignments aided by your onboard self-learning AI named Gorky. Gorky is definitely a big highlight of this game. Uh, his personality through the dialogue is just super fun and creative and uh, made me hate them as much as I love them. Uh, I probably hated them irrationally more than I needed to just because it felt like in some instances they... Because like you, you go to talk to them if you're having trouble with puzzles. You'll ask like, hey, what, 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 what should I do here? Can you help me? And then he'll be like, you just got to do this and do this. But sometimes he'll be like you got to do this and this, and then you don't actually have to do that until after you've done something else, which he doesn't tell you about, and it's like, Gorky, goddammit! What do I do? Gorky! <laughs> so you can also play chess with him. Uh, that's, that's pretty cool. He's very good. I didn't beat him. Uh, also, the screen that you play chess on is way small. I wish that I could make the screen larger. It's just his face. I have to get into spoilers for, like, the rest of this review. Editor Johnny here. This next section contains both puzzle and story spoilers for Still There. If you'd like to avoid them, skip ahead to 57 minutes and 20 seconds. There's there's a lot to talk about. Honestly, I have a little bit of anxiety even going into this, but here we go. Um, <laughs> so when you're playing the game and you're going about your daily tasks, basically every single kind of problem that you can think of will arise from mundane data loss to oxygen links to incoming warheads. And sometimes Gorky is just no help. So there's a lot of anxiety in this game. It feels like I'm in like a real work environment where I'm having to figure something out for the first time with no help. And it, it, it is actually putting me back into like these situations that have been in in real life i think because this game sometimes has problems with conveyance like i would forget my goal sometimes and have nothing not even like my to-do book to remind me of what i was supposed to be doing issues like that that make it harder to complete the game uh some tasks like finding a fuse or a light bulb to replace a broken one were really simple point and click affair kind of things but uh the oxygen leakage task shit like that Oh my god, it's so stupidly complex for what feels like no good fucking reason. I was about to just give up there or just look up a walkthrough or something. And like I probably would have just caved and either dropped the game or done exactly that uh, if it wasn't for the fact that I didn't have a chat there to help me out try to solving it. Uh, it has the option to give you an easier puzzle for a lot of these things but it feels like an insult to give yourself the easier puzzle because you don't get the achievement for solving the chapter unless you uh, do it the proper way. And if you do it the improper way, then you don't get the prize. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It made me, made, made me, made me want to cry. I'm not going to lie. Uh, yeah, 
like that oxygen task is just like not enough instructions are given they didn't give you any like time to try out the mechanics of the puzzle earlier on they just give it to you all at once and then they give you a manual like a technical manual and then they say figure it out literally troubleshooting is the gameplay and if that sounds bad to you then don't play this game <laughs> <laughs> see what you call troubleshooting i call problem solving and puzzles <laughs> but <laughs> i guess so I, it's, <laughs> um, I mean, like that, that's, that's, that's the base gameplay. The story goes on and eventually, uh, you meet this friend, this voice that's in need of help on another line. She's this 21 year old woman desperately trying to find help for her ship, the Corona that had like crashed and was just floating in space now with no way to get help in deep space. Uh, so the first part of the story with this woman starts where you're just trying to get help from this other big corporate ship with a bunch of diplomatic escorts who refuse to change course uh, because they have a mission and they need to make it, even though doing so would mean the loss of 70 people trapped in the corona. So you have to prove to her that you know where she is basically by like using a bunch of data from different satellites to pinpoint her location, even though she like hid her location tracker. Uh, then you threaten to send her location data to the corporation that she belongs to and essentially get her fired for like not belong not uh, obeying like the space treaty or whatever where you have to save people who are in trouble um but then like a whole bunch of shit ends up happening and like y you can either have her like do a compromise where she sends supplies to the area or you can have her go yourself and i said fuck you lady you're going yourself and you're getting those people out right now and she went there, and there was no one there. And she said, oh my god, you're trying to kill me because you're just getting me off track. I'm going to send nuclear warheads at you right now. <laughs> and so they, they fire them off, and then you have this whole minigame of trying to shield yourself from the nuclear warheads that are incoming. And after all of this, um, you find out that actually the lady that you've been talking to is 130 years in the future, and any attempt that you have to save her will just lead to a different universe's version being saved. The station that you're in is also known for having apparently like time anomalies. And the reason why you're here, the real reason why you're here, not to just relay information about constellations or whatever, is because you're being studied. And Gorky is relaying information about your status to uh, the corporation that you're working for in order to find out what's going on with these time anomalies. And so you're literally just a guinea pig for Gorky to observe and learn from. Except time broke, and suddenly the character gets, uh, by the end of the game, teleported like 83 years into the future. And so his wife that he left at home is gone. Can't go back to her. The whole thing that he was avoiding is now dead. Doesn't exist. And... The game ends with the protagonist having to accept the loss of not only his wife, but also um, his daughter, who died uh, very young and he considered himself responsible for. Uh, and he sort of accepts the finality of time as he ends up leaving the space station to go float, float towards like what seems to be like the heat death of the universe uh, as uh, the lady, who is also doomed to die in this ship forever, watches the same light envelop her and uh 
there's also this element where uh, Gorky, you can choose to forgive him or not based on his actions because he was sort of learning and he didn't, because he's an AI and, you know, you have to sort of determine whether or not he was at fault for what happened and what he did, even though at the end of the of the game he, he seems to sincerely regret his actions and, and want the best for uh, all of the characters. Um, it's very, very melancholic. It's not a happy game, and it made me cry on stream. I don't know if that was just because it was extremely late, because I finished this game at around, like, 6.30 in the morning, but, like, it, it legitimately... After beating your head against the wall. you Literally beating my head against the wall. And, like, something about the catharsis of, like, going towards something and, like being trapped in an area doing tasks it, it like it reminded me of the sort of the existential hell that i'm living in right now with coronavirus and like the fact that i can't leave my fucking apartment right now and do anything or visit my friends and like i'm in this sort of self-imposed spaceship you know and in that sense i feel like um i don't know if i should jump into the philosophical implications i'm gonna hit the ludo narrative before i jump into the philosophical implications so the ludo narrative uh in comparison to the other work simulator that I covered in this podcast before called Booth, that game had an emphasis on the time crunch felt by workers in like a capitalist society where you have to constantly be working and working and working and having to like take shortcuts on your work in order to fulfill the quotas like put onto you by the society that you're living in. Whereas this game felt like uh, it was more tying around with the idea that more on the implications that time that 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 time that you spend working is is lost. So this game lets you dick around with Gorky for a while, like playing chess and shit, which to me felt weird because in the booth, it's this game like you know every moment is the company's moment. If you if you if you're working, then you're working, and if you're not working while you're supposed to you're supposed to be working, then that's extremely bad, and you're losing money, and you're losing the company money, and you're gonna get fired. Which is funny because you're still working. Yeah. But, like, in this game, it's like, ah, oh, fuck off. Yeah, you can do whatever. And the whole point of that is because, like, well, you being there is the work. Yeah, because the product the product that they're, they're making is actually the data that they're collecting from you. Correct. Which is very much relevant to the current society that we're living in, where a lot of the time the data that we're giving to, like, social media companies and shit like that is more valuable than the actual work that we're putting in. Such a beautiful, like, fucking analogy. What a great metaphor. Like, ah, I love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Seriously, this game is a lot of good shit. So, um, I did, I did, I should mention, though, I felt somewhat disconnected with the character in terms of a ludonarrative sense because they had, uh, like, months to adjust to their work on, on the space station, and then I had six days. And I felt completely overwhelmed by, like, everything. I felt like uh, like there was a disconnect between the main character and me, where, like, I felt like I was a chicken with its head cut off, and I felt like the main character, in times, was that way as well, but most of the time was supposed to be, like, a competent worker. And, <laughs> it, it, there, there, again, the, the disconnect there. But let's just jump into the philosophical implications. So something that i i that hit me when i i finished playing this game and i had to write it down before i went to bed um is the idea of of coffee coffee is a running theme throughout the game uh you actually get to make it you can just take a break at any point during the game and just like take a piss take your bag of piss over and recycle the piss to make water and then use the water to make the coffee and put the grounds together and then boil the coffee 
and all the achievements are golden coffee pots. So like it, it's all like coffee is a major thing in this game. And I realized that the game itself is coffee. So it takes time to brew. And when you look away, suddenly it's boiling. It's better served bitter and dark and can be made sweeter with milk and sugar. So it has like jokes in common. Honestly, this game is really funny. I didn't mention that, but this game is like really funny at times. And finally, that coffee wakes you up. The main character has to wake up and realize that he's being experimented on for one, that his daughter is dead and that he'll never get to see his wife again for two, and for three, that he's being like, you know, exploited and there's no point to any of this, so he just wakes up by letting himself go. And not just that too, weren't there moments in the game where you like actively had to break the sort of weird sleep things? Yeah, like sleep paralysis. You have to get him up from his like sleep demons and it there's this whole like like the dream se segments are 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 playing on this idea that there are things that he is dealing with in life that he's not wanting to deal with and he's not waking up and dealing with those problems. And instead, he's sort of absorbing himself into his work to sort of hide and sort of sleep from his problems. And uh, I think that this also kind of, as an extension, makes the player wake up in some ways and kind of to see some of the injustices in the game as they are in real life. Like, for example, the corporate executive that was more interested in maintaining their own job than they are in preserving the lives of the corona. Uh, like, those people are real. Uh, and the corporate wage slaves being used as, like, sick experiments by higher up, like, those are real, too. I, I think recently, even, like, recent history, like, the Tyson uh, meat factory and, like, the corporate executives there that had betting pools on how many people would get sick with coronavirus. It's not scientific, but it's sort of that same level of banality to excessive moral injustices that really rung true with this game and its themes so <laughs> i i feel really conflicted about recommending this game although I, even after talking about it and i love the theming of it so much just because um uh, i think that it might not be enjoyable to play at uh many different points simply because you know troubleshooting is like the primary game mechanic and that's frustrating to a lot of people uh but also, this is the kind of game that I feel like makes you more prepared to fully take on the adult world. It's like a harsh reminder that we're all operating in this, like, tiny little space station, like, far removed from each other. And that empathy and a strenuous relationship with technology is the only means of really feeling human, where all that we have in the world is just a daily grind of work. And otherwise... We've lost everything. Damn. <laughs> the experience of me playing it was subjectively kind of shit because I just had a very stressful time with it and a lot of anxiety with it. But it might as well just be because I'm under a time crunch for the podcast and I had to complete this within a certain time frame. And I think that probably added to it, if all honesty. So maybe, yeah, I think this is really worth it. As as you're as you're doing a game about the layered metaphors of work and how it's it's taking away from our free time and enjoyment of things, you're also being constantly reminded of the work you're doing in which you have to play the game to take away from your enjoyment and free time of the game. Yeah. I think that's why it hits so hard. Cause I was I was like thinking about it and I was like, what am I doing? <laughs> what the fuck am i doing you you had to 
you had to do work to artificially do work in which you were only doing the work to do work. And mainly most of the work that I'm going to be doing is only really going to be useful to like data collectors and data miners and and like marketing people and shit that like is so far above and beyond me that like it doesn't even benefit me whatsoever. Ah, oh, shit. <laughs> but let's move on to Children of Morta. Uh, I'm going to blast through this one because I'm looking at our recording time already and man, we're cruising and I want to talk about the corridor for a hot minute. So this is Children of Morta. It's a game by Dead Mage and they've done Tale of Ronin, uh, Garshashp, and Shadowblade. Uh, this is a, a fantastic dodge-based roguelike. It's top-down, uh, sort of like dungeon crawler-esque and... I, I'm going to compare this to a game that came out recently this year because I know it's been every, on everyone's list and they've seen it and talked about it. The game is a lot like Hades in that, like, it, it plays very similar. You know, you you walk around the sort of, like, randomly generated dungeon. You fight guys. The The perspective's very similar. You have a dodge mechanic. You have an attack mechanic. It's It plays just like Hades, but it's uh, a more stylized sort of, like, 8, 16-bit graphic style. But... There's tons of of unique different like variation and and variety in this game. There's eight different characters I want to say, and they all unlock as you go. So you'll do like five or six runs as one character and then you'll get like trickled in story bits about the next one and you'll finally after dying three or four times, you'll see some more story and they'll unlock as a playable character. The the whole game is about like family and it's so fucking cool in the lens that they present it cuz like one of the first characters you unlock is is the youngest son. And so every time you die, it's giving you little story bits of the youngest son. Like, oh, well, his brother left off to go to go help people, and then he was left alone, so he decided to start helping people. So the ne- then you die, and the next story bit's like, oh, his grandpa made him daggers so he could play and start training. And then the next story bit's like, oh, his mom told him he wasn't ready to go out there yet, so they took away the daggers, and he couldn't. And then you die, and the next story bit's like, oh, he snuck out on his own and stole the daggers and came back with a bunch of treasure, and everyone's mad at him. And then you die, and the next story bit's like, oh, hey, they decided, like, clearly he's ready, he can handle himself, and it's just us being insecure about what's going to happen to him, so let's properly train him, and now you can play him as a character. I, I thought it was great. The The themes and ideas about family are really well presented in this game. It is the most goddamn functional family I've ever seen portrayed in media, I think, which is, like, wild and kind of inspiring, but... Uh, a little off-putting because it's like, God, they're supportive. Like, this kid wants to be, be a, a monster hunter and help the family rid the world of corruption. And they're not like, fuck you, son. They're like, all right, cool. We'll give you the tools you need to survive. We'll train you. We'll teach you. And we'll make sure that you can do what you want to do. We're not going to, you know, stop you because we don't want you to do it. It's It's fucking wholesome as hell. And this family's great. And, like, you'll randomly get cutscenes and, like, one of them was like, you know, the the tales of heroes of legend, like, never mention uh, how how much they cared about each other. And they'd stop to have family dinner every evening. And you get a cutscene of them just, like, sitting at the table and eating together. And it's so wholesome. And the way they present this family is fucking amazing. And, and you just, like, you love all these characters. And you love this family. And it's great. The Bergsons are fucking amazing. It, uh, it, it's got a lot of great, uh, progression. So as, as you go through the dungeons, you get Morta or, or money 
and you use that money to put into like permanent upgrades for your characters, which do things like increase your crit chance, increase your dodge chance, increase your attack speed, increase your damage, or like allow you to find more runes, allow you to equip more items, things like that. Uh, it's it's really good. All, all the upgrades apply to all of the Bergsons as a whole, and not just like individual characters. But individual characters also earn XP and can level up. And so as you level up, you learn individual abilities for each of the Bergsons. But also earning an, putting enough levels into one character unlocks family-wide buffs as well. So it, it's great. It feels like you're always progressing no matter what characters you're playing because you're always unlocking things for everyone. And they have this fantastic system that forces you to juggle between characters. You can't get too comfortable with one. Because if you play a character for like three or four times in a row, they'll get corruption sickness and lose like 40% of their maximum health. So you have to select a different character for three or four more runs so the other character's corruption can leave when they rest. It's it's a fantastic roguelite. Uh, the gameplay loop is great. There's tons of variants. The the bosses are all fun and exciting. They, they were great challenges and fights. The storyline is amazing. It's, it's presented in the same way Hades' storyline is too, where that... Every death gives you a little bit more story, and every completion gives you a little bit, like, gets you a little closer to an actual ending. Uh, so if if you like Hades, this is a beautiful game to sort of transition to. Hell yeah. Would you do, do you like it, like, more than Hades? Do you like it as a side piece to Hades? Do you do you think that it's better? What what do you think? Okay, so here's the thing. Hades, I think, is is more visually polished and everything. It's more accessible, too, and it's easier. I think Hades is... If we're making the, the comparison that I always make, Hades is sort of the Among Us of this genre and style of roguelite. It is just a polished, simple package that anyone can pick up and learn to play and complete. Whereas Morda is a little more complex, and and if you like Hades, you might not necessarily like Morda because it is a little complex and a little sloppier and harder to get, uh, and you'll definitely die more than you do in Hades. But if you liked Hades and but didn't like that there wasn't as much variance or that it wasn't an incredibly complex game, you'll absolutely love Morda. So if we were to extend this analogy to another game, then this game is sort of like the unfortunate spacemen to Among Us. Yes, exactly. This is the unfortunate fortunate spacemen of Among Us. And the, I, I cannot say good enough things about the Morda storyline. It's phenomenal. I'm loving it. It, like, the way they present information, it's all presented from the lens of the narrator, too. You don't hear any first-person dialogue. It's always, the Bergsons were doing this, this was happening to them, this is what they're doing now. You know, the the, the narrator is presenting it as an epic tale of heroes in the past while you're playing through the Bergsons to get through. It's super cool. It's really great. I, I'm enjoying it a lot. Uh, and it does it does create this sort of implication of, like, uh, I, I don't know, I, the whole time I'm talking about it, thinking about it, was like, well, is this what the Bergsons were actually like? Or is this the outside perspective of the narrator? Like, is this ah. is this the lens that the family presents so that the narrator, the people around them, see them as this full-functioning, heroic family? Or, or were they actually a good family and doing the good things? Yeah, I do love the narrator trope for that reason in games, because it often gives you a lot of interesting places to work on where, like, who is the narrator? Where, When and where are they talking from? And why are they talking about it? And, like, are they embellishing things? Are they a reliable narrator? There's a lot of fun stuff you can do. Yeah. It's really good. It's a great lens to present it in. I'm I'm really glad it's presented this way rather than, like, I am the Bergson man doing the Bergson things. Like, it's great. <laughs>
it makes it feel make it makes it feel like literally like like a, like a Beowulf type of story. Yeah, a hundred percent. So I I think I think if you love roguelikes, if you like Hades, I think you'll love this game. It, it's definitely a great pickup if you like roguelikes in general and and haven't even tried Hades. Uh, or if you just want to see what you were missing out in your childhood because your parents could never get their shit a lo- together long enough to be loving and supportive, you know? Like, see see what a functional family looks like. No one gets it. Thank God you get me. You know, you know who really fucking gets me? Thomas. Thomas. Yo, we're so excited about this extra. We both ended up playing it this time. I Yeah, I as soon as I played it, I was like, David, you have to play this fucking game. Like, it's it's so good. <laughs> uh, this is the Corridor. 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 There it is, The Corridor by Thomas McKinnon. And I'm sorry, Thomas, if I mispronounced it. McKinnon? McKinnon? Uh, I, I know I know you're listening to this because you're such a fucking active dev and you reply to everything about this game. So I know you're listening to this podcast right now, Thomas. And I have to say, I fucking love this game. Like, seriously, we love your thank game. you we for love... creating it. it. It's amazing. We love it. We love it. <laughs> he... He replied to me on Twitter after I didn't even message him. He just like I I put my my Twitch info into the thing, and I, I said I was like gonna play a vod, and, and I guess like he like I didn't even put the name of the corridor into the tweet for going live. I don't I think that he literally was like looking through going live or something and found it or somehow or maybe maybe, maybe I said pre gaming with the corridor or something. I I might have said that. Uh, but yeah, he, he was on top of that. He was like, thank you so much for playing the game. I watched your whole playthrough. It was a real joy. And I was like, your game is a joy. Yeah, seriously. This is, this is hands down, probably my favorite game of 2020. And and it's, it's like a 20 minute experience. It's so good. It's, I don't even want to call it a game. It's an experience. Like it's fucking incredible. It talks about issues that are so pertinent to game development and like the industry and being a creator of art as a whole that. I, I think everyone who is a creator especially should play this game. Uh, it, it's a fantastic message that will remind everyone that what you're going through and what you're working through, others are dealing with as well. That, like, creating art is fucking hard and scary, and it, it sometimes feels better to just pretend it doesn't exist. Like, shit. Mm-hmm. There, there's I, I wrote this specifically because the whole time, the whole time I was playing this game, all I could think is, like, I fucking wish I played this game in college. Like, I, I wish, I wish, and I feel like, I feel so strongly about this, that there is no reason this game should not be required material going through higher education in any art field. Damn, that's a, that's an impressive statement. A hundred percent. Everyone, everyone going through any art field, be it painting, like, visual art, performing arts, game development, like, if you're going through arts education, this should be required material. I mean, it's such a short experience, like, and it, it, it does talk a lot about, like, the medium and the nature of games and, like, how we perceive games and how, like, the, the developer can sort of uh, be, like, the developer's influence on the game, because he's, like, he's, like, a narrator in the game, uh, and he, like, tells you what to do, and it's, <laughs> it's sort of like the Stanley Parable in some ways, uh, but I feel like it challenges that by being... Uh, even more kind of about the medium than Stanley Parable was, where Stanley Parable was about like a game about decisions and about like the meta narrative of being led along a path. This is this is a lot more linear, and it has a lot more of a specific thing to say. Yeah, absolutely, and and I think it's phenomenal for that. Like, I, and and not just that, the game is so mechanically unique. It, it plays with ideas that I've never seen practically applied in game design before. 
some some of the things that happen in this game are are like some next level shit like it's so fucking cool i'll say i've only ever seen some of the things that this game pulls in a couple of the things and one thing in particular uh the the part where he uh he does things to your computer i've never seen that before i've never seen that in a game before and that like legitimately made me jump out of my chair i like like dead ass this game redefines the way we think about video games and what they can do like well, it, it, I've always long argued that video games are a form of theater. And 100%. I feel like this is 100% a, a way of showing you that is the case. Because, like, it, it frames it such as the case that you understand that you are a participant in the game. And that you are as much an audience member. Editor Johnny here. This next section contains major gameplay and story spoilers for The Corridor. If you'd like to avoid them, and I highly recommend you do, skip ahead to 1 hour, 20 minutes, and 46 seconds. So, so what, now that we've marked this area as spoilers, like, the game intentionally closes itself several times. Like, that is, that is the core loop, is the player having to reopen the game that is the core fucking loop of this game and it's so good the way it the way it progresses and and uses the uh the idea of of save states is is fucking wild like no one's doing that why is no one doing this the only other game that i can think of that did as much with save states to fuck with me as as this game would be undertale actually i don't know if you've ever played through undertale but that game recognizes every time that you reset a save uh, certain characters can perceive save resets, and they'll comment on them. Yeah, I, I I think this game it like, and and to what David said earlier, there's there's a point in the game where the the game artificially uh, takes control of your computer in in a way that it, it does it to the extent that a video game can, but in a way that makes you actually question the limitations of what a video game can do. I was honestly kind of scared. I mean, I probably had no reason to be because it's being sold at retail on Steam and it wouldn't have passed, like, the quality assurance check otherwise. But, like... <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's uh, the thing. It's all just it's all just a visual gimmick with audio but, over but, it. But but the fact that I had an executable in the and it was free and I downloaded it from the Humble Monthly made it almost that sketchier. Because, <laughs> like, my computer was like, don't, don't run this program. You shouldn't run this program, it says... <laughs> It's, it's that idea of that, like, just the fact that the game clearly and, and, and vividly presents to the player that we could be presenting information on every screen you have attached to your computer. That terrified me because it blacked out both sides, not the, not the one side of the computer that I was focused on, but the, both, both the right and the left side of the computer blacked out. And I was like, is he going to erase every file on my computer? What is like, happening? And, and, and like e even, even the story implications of what's going on there, like the game design implications of that is fucking incredible. Like, oh yeah, no one's doing that. No one is, no one is using multiple displays in any sort of significant manner in game design. And fucking Thomas shows up and it's just like, Hey consumers, look at a thing we can do that we just haven't been doing and that can that that ter i mean it's because I, i'm guessing that every person wouldn't see that it's only if yeah. you have a double screen that you would see that but the fact that we did and we saw it terrified the shit out of us yeah and like it, it's so cool i don't know i i think there's i think there's so much that this game does that just like they're they're little mechanic like mechanics and game design decisions and choices that are made through here that just like i i don't know i 
I, after playing this game and looking at development of other games and stuff, there, there's no way that I can't think about the tools that were implemented in this game and project and go, oh shit, that would be a cool feature doing XYZ over here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, this game is just brimming with creativity. The The streamer mode, I gotta say, was one of the biggest highlights of my playthrough on Twitch. Just like, chef's kiss. Complete, complete beauty. I <laughs> honestly don't think a lot about the morality of streaming uh, and the idea that like if you stream a short game like this, then you're basically just taking money away from the developer. Uh, and they ba he basically calls you out on it when when you say you're you're a content creator and then you're making a, a, a video or whatever on this and you, you you enter the content creator mode. There's an intermission part of the way through where the cardboard man with the cardboard plan says, "So you're a streamer, huh? I was just watching you." And you look on his screen, and <laughs> I'm just watching my favorite influencer, and there you are. <laughs> like, and that—that's another—that's another mechanically unique thing that this game played with that I've never seen another game do. Like the implementation of a website within the game in real fucking time. Like, that's—I've never seen that done. That's fucking amazing. I got to see my own stream playing live inside of the game and I got to watch my chat play out on the screen inside the game. It's it god, I fucking Thomas. God, I know I know you're still listening, Thomas. This is an incredible game. Good work. Expertly done. And if you're coming back now from the spoiler section, uh this game is $2. $2 and it's like a it's such a good experience that like I, I, I've said it, I've seen like the Sonic meme go around a lot, and I think it's 100% true. I want shorter games with worse graphics made by people who are paid more to work less, and I'm not kidding. This is $2. Go buy this game. Like, seriously, I, I am buying this game even with getting the free version included on Humble. Because, like, this, this is, this is a fucking piece of game design history that people just don't know about. And it's, fucking incredible like go buy this game and support this man's so he can make weird cool shit like a hundred percent this is this is the type of game that i want more of in my life it's short it doesn't take up too much of your time and it will stay with you yeah it, like it, it's it's memorable and it, it's unforgettable and i think you should try it it's and it's Go it's wholesome it. as fuck like the message the the like the core message of this might not be as relatable to everyone as it is to us as like creators but it's it's still fucking amazing and like you'll get you'll get light out of the story no matter what if if you play video games you'll you'll recognize moments in this story and get things out of it and even even if you don't like the game it's impossible to deny that this game is doing some really cool things and messing around with some really cool ideas and, and innovative gameplay and mechanics like this don't happen a lot in the industry and we should support the hell out of it and buy this game. Yeah, when people are creative and they do cool things like this, you support them and you buy their things. Buy this game. Go. Like, like if you're still listening to this fucking podcast, stop and go buy it. Go, go buy it. So literally, you, you've spent more time listening to this fucking podcast than you have playing the game. Go play the game. Go play it. You can play. You can beat the game in the time it would have taken you to listen to this review segment about the game. That's it. That's the games, including the extra. Game of the month, David? The corridor's mine, hands down. Fucking hands down. I am tempted to say 
still there, though. I wasn't going to say it before, but after talking about it and talking it over and thinking about the themes and, and what it gives to people, especially right now in this time, maybe I'm switching. I think I'm switching. I just have so many unsaved drafts that, like, they're good as long as I don't publish them. <laughs> the Corridor, man. The Corridor. It's so good. What else are you playing? Uh, I've been playing a little bit of Cyberpunk. Not too much. I played <laughs> a little bit of Among Us. We played that together for our community night. And uh, I mentioned earlier that I played some Dark Souls 3. I found out that all of my saves are gone, so I'm starting from the beginning. I pretty much only played Among Us. I've been working on catching us up with podcast stuff, so... All, all the episodes are on YouTube now, baby. All our Steam reviews for the entire year are up. Stay tuned for 2020, the Bundle Bourgeoisie reboot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, season two of the Bundle Bourgeoisie. How about that? Uh, Global Giving is the charity this year or month. It is a nonprofit that connects nonprofits to donors and other companies in nearly every country of the world. They uh, help nonprofits access funding, tools, training, and the support they need to serve their communities. So if you buy the Humble Bundle, that's the, the charity that you're supporting. As well as incredible developers like Thomas. Thomas. Give your money to Thomas. So this time we have uh, uh, the question that we uh, asked y'all last time. We're going to answer it this time. What is the most interesting or unique game mechanic you have experienced in a video game? Or wait, is it that we're asking them this next time? This is the one we asked last time. We answer it this time. We read their answers next time. Got it. I, the format. I Yeah. <laughs> okay, so... Uh, you want to go first? Yeah. Uh, so my answer was, uh, it might sound like a cop-out, but the corridor. Like, seriously. there. I, I said I didn't want to spoil anything about the mechanics, but we've already talked about them earlier now. So, like, the way it tracks progress through saves in different sessions is hella cool. The, like... The, the use of two displays on a PC is fucking wild and amazing. The the integration of, of live browser feeds into the game, I think, is super cool. And there's there's some other things that it does, too, that I, I really enjoyed. I think this game is doing so much. It's got so many interesting game mechanics in it that, like, God, it's it's beautiful. And then I did write the Eternal Darkness sanity mechanic, but... <laughs> Uh, and, and then I wrote down the fact that I really love games that use the physical device that you have in your hands as an actual game mechanic. Uh, like, my favorite uses of it are in a lot of DS games. Uh, the World Ends With You has stuff where, like, your attacks are all customizable, and it uses basically every type of input from tapping to swiping to circling and, like, drawing shapes, but then also blowing into the microphone and things that you wouldn't even think of that are features on the DS. Uh, like, my favorite thing is in um, any any type of puzzle game, where they require you to actually close the DS to like press a stamp or something on the top screen onto the bottom screen and then open it back up. Genius. Genius. I love that. It's my favorite game mechanic. Uh well first, first, uh leave leave your answers to the to the question in the Discord or on the comments in the video that we now have up. Uh and, and we'll 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 uh, read through them and, and hit them up on the next episode. Yeah, so we have a Twitter account that you can follow. Uh, at uh, Bundle Bourgeois and um, yeah is there anything else I mean we do stream on Twitch and stuff fuck this podcast this podcast sucks fuck this podcast God this damn podcast it. sucks we're ending All right. it what, what the fuck no. go listen no, to some better shit go play Thomas's game
go go play Thomas's game. Go listen to the Besties. It's a better podcast made by better people that are better at video games and better at journalism. So yeah, that's it. Yeah, goodbye. Yeah, yeah. Should I end this with my album? The song from my album? <laughs> Just the entire song. The entire, the entire 20 minutes. minute song. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, I'm done. Just start start playing it and then just give everyone the nightmare that you're going to keep it going. Alright, I'll, I'll stop recording.